Hello, and welcome to another episode of Rainbow Road. I am your host, Travis Ryans, and joining me once again in 2021 is Mike Deneen. Mike, how you doing, buddy? Howdy, bing bongaroo. I'm doing super doo 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 I don't know. I was trying something new for the new year. It didn't work out. I'm good, is what I should have said. Hi. That is that is how we're starting the new year. Okay. No no taking that back. No going back on Wait, that. can we redo that? That was so funny. I signed up for this podcast willingly. <laughs> Yeah, no, no, no redos on that. That was perfect. Immaculate. Stunning. We can do another one, but Matt won't use it. I guarantee you Matt will use the first one. (laughs) I got to plan this out better. Speaking of Matt, introducing our producer and guest for today, uh, Matt Kinnar. Matt, thank you for joining us. Hello, back in front of the mic again. And our second guest is Jacqueline Merritt, a YouTuber and video essayist. Jacqueline, thank you so much for joining us. Hi, it's good to be here. I am ready to talk about Zelda for way too long and in way too much detail. Oh, so you did listen to our Kingdom Hearts episode then. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no, I have not. But that's just how I plan to come into any podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, then you've signed up. You, You know what you're in for. We are talking about The Legend of Zelda and why we love it. The Legend of Zelda is an action-adventure series developed by Nintendo and originated by series creators Shigeru Miyamoto and Takashi Tezuka in 1986, making 2021, this year, the 25th anniversary. Miyamoto based the original game on his love of exploring caves as a child and the adventures he would go on. Since then, the series has bloomed into 25 games that share the same name and some similar themes? Most often, you play as the silent protagonist Link, who must save Princess Zelda and her kingdom of Hyrule from the clutches of the evil Ganon. Technically, all the games exist in the same universe, along three different but connected timelines. That was a mistake. Yes, yes it was. Speaking of mistakes, we've learned from our hubris on the Kingdom Hearts episode and won't be trying to explain the twisted and convoluted narrative web that this series has created. Thank God. And instead, we'll be focusing on what the series means to us and why we love it. Uh, Zelda has traditionally been pretty bare bones on the story, but if you're worried about spoilers, this may not be the episode for you. We will jump around between all the games we've played. I don't know what that is yet, so everything is fair game. Snape kills Ganondorf. (laughs) (gasps) Mike, how could you? I'm sorry, if anyone's listening, I've spoiled the whole game series. I I have to assume, though, that that can't be an actual spoiler, because from what I understand... Ganondorf just won't stay dead. He won't stay dead. Depending on which timeline we're in. I mean, most games actually make it a point to say that you only really seal him away. I think the only one where you actually apparently kill him is the original. Every other game is about sealing him away. We've talked about in the past the core fantasy of the game. And I think I realized what it was while you were outlining the description of the game. Uh, it is being a silent protagonist <laughs> for me, for me personally. That's the core fantasy of finally being able to to stop talking for yeah. once. Yeah, it's the only way we can shut him up. I think that's it. I think that's it. Hit the nail on the the head of the. I'm. I think I'm having a stroke or something. <laughs> you are having a stroke. It seems. So, Jacqueline, what games have you played in the Legend of Zelda series, and what are your favorites? Literally all of them. Really? Um, I have made it a point in my life to make sure that I play every mainline Zelda game for like at least a couple of hours. I have not beaten them all, but I have beaten every 3D Zelda game and okay. a couple of the handheld ones. 
All right. I was going to say, like, what about what about Minish Cap? Because I feel like that's, like, a weird one that not everyone plays. Minish Cap is one of my favorites. Oh, yeah? I have not beaten Spirit Tracks or Phantom Hourglass because when I was playing Phantom Hourglass and actually getting into it, my DS's uh, hinge broke. So the screen oh, no. just went all floppy. Ooh. Yeah. Went all flaccid. Oh. <laughs> Matt. No. <laughs> I couldn't help myself. Okay, so Mike, I mean, I know you're a huge fan of Zelda, but I actually don't know which game specifically you've played. Like, so what, what have you played? I've played all the major ones, uh, you know, starting with the original. I think I tried to play The Adventures of Link, but it really it didn't, I didn't understand it because I was so young and I was like, I don't get this. I'm, I'm, and I dropped it. My favorite one, which I don't know if a lot of people feel the same way. I feel like people really love Ocarina, but I really like A Link to the Past. That was my favorite. Um, I really like the remaster of it. Uh, well, not a remaster. What was the one where you become like a spray painted 2D link? A link between worlds. A link between worlds. Yeah, that was a cool reconceptualization of that game. Um, but yeah, I'd say that was probably my favorite. What about you? Uh, so I played Ocarina of Time, Twilight Princess, and a bunch of the DS ones. I played Phantom Hourglass, Spirit Tracks, Link Between Worlds. Um, Wow, I've played more 2D Zeldas than i played more 3D. I didn't ever really clocked that, but that's actually kind of interesting. Yeah, and of course, Breath of the Wild, the one, the only. So but no Majora's Mask. No, I refuse to play Majora's Mask, and this has become a thing between Matt and I, because he really wants us to play Outer Wilds. Matt loves Outer Wilds so much, and I just cannot get past the time clock like the the time pressure of you have such and such time to complete everything and then you will die and have to restart everything oh, again. I know. I hate that mechanic too. Like that's why I didn't play Phantom Hourglass is because I just don't like being timed. Well, y'all are lame because I love that about Majora's Mask <laughs> and the dungeon in Phantom Hourglass that requires it. Oh, I'm ready for the debates. Oh, okay, but Majora's Mask did it in such a fun like... I had, like it was I don't know I it was the one time I think I didn't mind it and it but it did add this extra layer of pressure to the game but sorry Travis you were saying no just that like I, I've played a lot of different games I love the series I want to play more of them um, and I thought it was really interesting to bring Matt on to talk about this because Matt has played Breath of the Wild uh, and they absolutely love it uh, but it's the only Zelda game they've played um, so Matt what do you know of the Zelda series other than this game like it's what else do you know about it um, I have a, a solid understanding of the memes. Like, <laughs> if okay. it's dangerous to go alone, take this. Do you know about Navi? Uh, is Navi the annoying one? Yeah. Hey, hey you listen. There. Yeah. Well, Why hey, did wait, you sound hey, like that lady there? from Red Dead Redemption when you did that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still thinking about the Red Dead Redemption <laughs> clip from a couple of weeks ago. Okay. It never leaves my mind. <laughs> Yeah, other than that, I I know it based on reputation as well. Just this monolith of uh, an anthology series. But I don't understand much about the old games. They look cute, but I'm still always a little surprised that this is such a a big franchise (laughs) when so much of it just boils down to cute twink smashes things with swords. I mean, that's really all I'm looking for in a game. But... um... That's your core fantasy? Yeah, that is my core fantasy. (laughs) Being a twink again. I miss that. Um, Jacqueline, so you've played all of the games. So what is it that keeps drawing you to Zelda? Because I find that the games, despite having a lot of similarities, also have a lot of differences. So what is it that keeps drawing you back to Zelda that makes you want to play every single one of them? I think the thing that keeps drawing me back is just like 
the core loop of the game in exploring dungeons and solving puzzles, which is funny enough the thing that makes Breath of the Wild like completely different from all of them because like <laughs> dungeons are barely a factor in that game. Yes, you have the shrines. But, yeah, that's definitely the thing I love the most about like the Zelda series as a whole. And I am I, I'm the kind of person who will tell you that the Water Temple was the best dungeon in Ocarina of Time and probably one of the best Zelda dungeons ever. Spicy oh, we love a hot take. It was so good I couldn't beat it. So good I had to restart the whole game over again. I will acknowledge that the inventory part where you have to go into the long pause screen to up equip and unequip is not good. But like everything else about the dungeon is fantastic. I love the complexity of the water levels, how many different keys there are, how many different options for rooms you have to go in. Like it is the best dungeon in that game. Huh, because what I had always heard was like water temple or water level is always the worst. Ocarina of Time has the exception. Hmm. I mean, I, I think when a lot of people talk about water levels as well, they talk about different mechanics that were never used elsewhere in the game. Like, for instance, Jacqueline, I know that you hate Atlantica in Kingdom Hearts. Only in Kingdom Hearts 1. I love it in 2. It's such an interesting choice. Um, <laughs> I, I hate it in both for different reasons, but... <laughs> I yeah the, I think when people talk about water levels they're usually talking about these movement mechanics that aren't usually used elsewhere in the game and at least with Ocarina of Time that isn't as much of a factor the iron boots still do have some purposes elsewhere it's just the annoyance of equipping and unequipping them each time but uh yeah are there any other favorite dungeons that really stick out to you guys ones that you really remember because of because of their atmosphere or because of the puzzles or things like that uh mike i know you're a longtime fan of the series what do you really like uh favorite dungeon um in another context that would this would be a much different question but (laughs) in zelda um Come back to me. Circle back. Okay, Jacqueline, do you have like a favorite dungeon? I have a hard time picking a favorite dungeon overall, but I think I can probably go through at least the games I've beaten and give you a favorite dungeon from each. Yeah, let's go for it. Okay, so Ocarina, Water Temple, obviously. For Majora's Mask, it's uh, Stone Tower Temple, the last dungeon of the game, which is the best dungeon because... It just takes, like, all of the complex mechanics from every other dungeon and makes you do them all at the same time, and I love that. I think for Wind Waker, I would probably have to go with the Wind Temple, again, because it's complex and actually challenging. Okay. So, Twilight Princess, Lakebed Temple, the yes. water temple of that one. That one's really cool. What makes it so interesting? It's essentially a reimagining of the same kind of concept of the water temple from Ocarina of Time, but, like three times the scale it's also not as hard as the water temple in ocarina it's like a good bit easier but it's still like really interesting and a lot of fun yeah it's amazing how they made the architecture so much more complex and yet by doing that made the puzzle solving a little more simple it's kind of it's not what you would expect if you tried to explain it out loud but it really does work for skyward sword my favorite dungeon would be the pirate ship okay that's the one where you're like traveling back and forth in time right yeah um there's two dungeons that do that in that game and the pirate ship is the one that i feel actually uses that mechanic in interesting ways compared to the first one wherein it's just like 
all the things that it asks you to do are exactly what you would expect when you think about, like, you know, time-shifting blocks that you have to hit to change the environment. Whereas, like, that, the pirate ship actually, like, makes you think about the geometry of the whole level and, you know, actually solve interesting puzzles. Then, let's see. I've also beaten Minish Cap. And for that one, I think my favorite dungeon might actually be the first one just because like it really like it really impresses upon you the whole like you get like super tiny and are exploring this like very small environment in like the grand scheme of things but it's massive to you since you've shrunk down Mm -hmm. so i i like to think i have a decent working knowledge of zelda but this is the first time hearing minish cap what is that (laughs) mike you want to take this one it's it's one of the handheld ones where uh, the story is that uh, it it sort of revolves around the Picori sword instead of the Master Sword, and so you you know this this evil mage uh, destroys the Picori sword to open this chest. In opening the chest, a bunch of evil consumes the land. Uh, you know the and the they have to like rebuild the Picori sword, but the the way to do that is to you know visit the Picori and the Picori. Um, can only be seen by children. So the local, I think, blacksmith is like, hey, here, take my apprentice here. And he's just, and he's a kid. He'll, you know, it's child labor, basically. And they're just like, hey, here, go. And take then, my child? Yeah, t- take, take this kid. Take this blonde boy. He's like, I don't know. He's, he's <laughs> just hangs around my shop. I don't know. Um, I, I think, I think people the... trust Twinks way too much. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, you know, it's, uh, it's a, it's a fantasy land. So, uh, you can, uh, Anyways, um, yeah, so that that's basically it. It's uh, you know, it, it's a fan favorite for for a lot of people, but I I didn't play it personally. I just know the the story. But yeah, uh, and Mike, do you have any favorite dungeons? Okay, yes, yes, I've thought about the question now. <laughs> uh, I would say that my favorite dungeon would probably be the second forest temple in Ocarina of Time. So you mean like the forest temple itself, not the Great Deku Tree? Not the Great Deku Tree, not the first, yeah, not the first one, but the once you're adult Link, you've pulled the Master Sword, you, you've taken growth hormones, and suddenly you're like way bigger. <laughs> um, and Link finally goes on tea. I, we don't see what happens in that cutscene. There's just light. Who knows what he does? <laughs> but it, I think that what the the cool part, and and the, actually that's that's part of it too, is that you it's the first dungeon you face. After transitioning from child Link to adult Link, the Forest Temple is now this manifestation of Link's psyche. And so he has now been ripped from his child body, is now in this adult body, and it's him sort of coming to terms with like what it means to be be an adult in the world that is now Hyrule, you know, years in the future, uh, and, and sort of like, and it has that ethereal spooky quality where, you know, there are like ghosts in the temple, and, you know, and part of existing, you know, going from a child to an adult is experiencing loss, right? So I think that, you know, having the ghosts there and, and having the, like, weird spooky mu- music and, and then the, the, the lot of the torch lighting things, I think, were part of it. But I think that that, to me, like, was kind of one of the cooler ones. And uh, one of the dungeons I actually did, because once I got to water t- the water temple, I was I was not able to continue because I'm dumb and I can't, I couldn't. I, I messed up the game. I decided to restart and I lost all uh, hope and ambition. But, oh, yeah, did was... you get soft locked behind some keys? 
I did. I did. I had the thing happen and I just kind oh, of gave no. up. I was like, oh, well, this is, this is stupid. I'm not, I'm not doing this anymore. Cause I just, cause you invested so much time in the game. Right. And then you get to this one part, this, you get this game breaking mechanic where if you just like, don't do the thing in the right order, it's like, you know, screw you. You can't play anymore. And so that was sort of it. Oh, that sucks. Yeah. That was it. That's my favorite dungeon. Um, uh, yeah. What about you, Matt? I mean, when it comes to the shrines and it comes to the divine beasts, um, did you have like a favorite puzzle that you really liked that you, because I know the puzzle making is like really what you absolutely love about the series. Was there something that you were like, aha? Not necessarily. I think, I think it was more for me about the smaller puzzles, mm-hmm. the puzzles that didn't declare themselves in terms of like a, a shrine or a dungeon or anything. It was just the little things around town okay so were you were you proficient at the like kokiri puzzles korok the yeah i forget that they have a different name in this one but yeah the korok puzzles i love the korok puzzles like i still return to the game and just search for korok seeds <laughs> okay so you're like so my friend emily is the same way she loves the korok puzzles and i am readily i'm just i'm infuriated by them because i miss them so often <laughs> really yeah, like I've just ne- I'm like playing the game and if, if someone's in the room with me, they'll point it out to me and I'll just feel so dumb because I can't like I don't see them ever. I'm like main story, got to complete the narrative, like got to stay focused, got to stay on task. Oh, your tunnel vision. Yeah, I get tunnel vision. Zelda is waiting for me. I don't have time to fuck around yeah. with these little apples in the baskets. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I'm not going to put the apple in the shrine or like what's the, I don't care what this the weird water feature is. I'm just going to tread trudge forward and uh, so I think that I, I I'm trying to be a little bit more like lateral in, in how I approach the game because I think my my linear focus has really sort of uh, limited my enjoyment because if you like yeah it's like you like you, you enjoy the Korok puzzles but uh, yeah. and specifically because I I enjoy the world of Hyrule so much that the Korok puzzles are are designed to try and pull me farther into the world and have me exploring and everything mm-hmm. so it always feels rewarding even if i don't get the puzzle itself i still see a new place right yeah Yeah. that's something that i genuinely loved about the koroks in breath of the wild and like this is not an original observation in fact i think i'm stealing it from david will on twitter but uh what he pointed out is that, like, the Korok seed puzzles are just, like, about having an awareness of your environment and just noticing if anything is off or strange. And, like, if you notice that, you're almost bound to get, like, a little reward for it in the form of a Korok seed. And, like, that was always a lot of fun to me. Yeah, it really does sort of make you pay attention to what's going on as opposed to... I mean, this might be why Mike hates it so much, but like, it isn't just about what does the developer want me to do here, but it feels like something that's part of the world and part like getting you like immersed in what's going on, um, which I can understand why that would be frustrating, but I found it really enticing. I, I quite liked it. In the era of COVID, uh, going places is just such a, you know, I feel like that, that alone, it makes the game very worthwhile in terms of a play experience. <laughs> Presenting yourself with a mask. It's dangerous to go alone. Take this. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I had a whole phase early in lockdown where I was just playing a bunch of different open world games. Yeah, I can't say I blame you. Yeah, Let me feel free. We're very much in the closed world portion of real life. So, you know, the <laughs> yeah. escapism certainly calls to us to an extent. 
Um, if I'm talking about my favorite dungeons, I would say, actually, I would got to agree with you that Forest Temple is definitely one of my favorites um, for the very similar reasons. Uh, it is, it has this spooky ethereal atmosphere, especially with the music that plays, uh, the ghosts that are haunting around. It is the first one that you challenge as an adult. I think it's also interesting just the architecture of it. It actually felt like a temple. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas the first three dungeons that you do were the Deku tree, which was like naturally forming a cave, which was naturally forming and Jabu Jabu's belly, which was <sighs> naturally forming. Like it was, these are all sort of natural spaces that just kind of happened. Whereas this, it, it got me wondering like, what was this place for? What purpose did this serve? And it made me really start to question things about the world and, have my mind wander as to what those things were. Mm-hmm. Um, I also felt like it had one of the best bosses. As much as I love Ocarina of Time, I do feel like a lot of the bosses suffer from the hit the weak point, then hit it with sword thing. Whereas Phantom Ganon was actually having you like, um, so to explain to Matt who hasn't played it, uh, you are standing in the center of this room that is surrounded by portraits of, I guess, pathways. And Ganon is on horseback Um riding towards you through the painting, but there are several of them coming at you and only one of them is real. So it felt like to me like um like the headless horseman sort of thing. like I feel like that that's kinda like the vibe they yeah, were going that's for. Exactly what it feels like. Yeah. Yeah, with like the clip clop of it like approaching you quickly and the spooky ethereal atmosphere going on. Like yeah. I, I loved it. I thought it was probably my favorite boss of of the whole game, uh in my favorite temple. I really liked the Sky Something Temple in Twilight Princess. I forget the name of it. Um, Jacqueline, do you know it? Help me. Uh, would it be Skyview Temple? I don't know off the top of my head if that's right. Yeah. Uh, so anyways, it's the one where you're up in the clouds uh, using the hookshot for most of it. Uh, I just, I don't know. I loved the atmosphere. I loved the architecture. I loved the way that the puzzles were set up. It was just one of my favorites. It's, it's interesting to see how much the series has changed from the 3D Zeldas setting a very specific tone to now coming to Breath of the Wild. I don't know if it's phases that they go through or if it's just different flavors of Zelda game, but it is interesting that they can all sort of come into different things and everything that you like about the series is completely absent in one game and everything you hate about the series is absent, sorry, is present in a bunch of them. Um, So what is it that you guys think makes a Zelda game? Like what defines a Zelda game? Because if you're going to say that it's the Metroidvania style of getting item to unlock next pathway, that's not in a bunch of the games. That's not in Breath of the Wild. It's not in a bunch of the 2D Zelda games. What is the essence of Zelda? I, you know what? I have an answer to this. Okay, what is it, Mike? What What, what is your thoughts? It's pots. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think there's been a sil- single Zelda game where you don't break pots. So it's all about smashing pottery. That is really what it all comes back to. <laughs> I mean, you're right about that. But also in Breath of the Wild, smashing pots doesn't get you anything, which was just a major disappointment to me. <laughs> like, th- there are no rupees inside this pot? So Jacqueline feels like this series really went downhill at Breath of the Wild just because of the lack of pot smashing. <laughs> That's that's where you, you're like, oh, I'm out. You know, forget the it. The developers were trying to get across a thematic message. It's not about what's in the pots. It's about the act of the smash. <laughs> I also just love this idea of, like, Jacqueline going around getting all the Korok seeds. And she's like, oh, so you're going to give me a reward for throwing a rock down into the water. But you're not going to give me anything for smashing a thousand pots in this village. <laughs> like, where is the consistency, developers? <laughs> <laughs> For what it's worth, I kind of morally oh refuse to get all the Korok seeds, mostly because I know that that would suck the fun out of the entire game for me. <laughs> yeah, that trying to be a completionist in Breath of the Wild just seems 
Oof. Like like you said, it would suck the fun out of the game. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the speed run is 26 hours long. Oh, my God. Matt, you mentioned the, the act of the smash. Uh, and speaking of smash, <laughs> uh, fun fact, the uh, original design for the Ocarina of Time iteration of Link... Uh, was based off a well-known Hollywood actor at the yes, time. Yes, it was. I did not know that, actually. Jacqueline, do you have any thoughts as to who that might be? <laughs> um, oh, fuck. I, I, have, I have the person in mind, but I can't remember his name. What was he um, in? It's Rebel Without a Cause guy, right? No, actually. It was who would have been a teenage heartthrob at the time that Ocarina of Time was released. Oh. Blonde hair, blue eyes. One of the Backstreet Boys or something? <laughs> uh, no, it's funny. I was wondering the same thing. I, I don't know the names of the Backstreet Boys, so. Travis's original guest was Tom Cruise. Yeah, oh, I yeah. thought Tom Cruise originally, because I know that they also based Aladdin off of him. Uh, oh, wow. Yeah, the actual answer is Leonardo DiCaprio. Ding, ding, huh. ding. Yeah, that's what the the guy who who drew him said. I don't think of him as blonde. Yeah, he's. I mean, it changes depending on the movie. Um, <laughs> yeah, but t- Titanic was really popular in Japan. Would Titanic have come out at this point, or no? He's Titanic is nineteen ninety eight. Yeah, Ocarina came out in ninety eight. Yeah, it would have been Romeo and Juliet, which makes sense. That's uh, Link and Zelda is actually just a it's a Romeo and Juliet story told in the <laughs> land of high. <laughs> See, no, I'm just making shit up now. Um, I, but I know for a lot of people, the Zelda franchise is like a beloved franchise. Like I know people, I have friends who have like the Triforce tattooed on them. I'm sure you guys do as well. Not yet. Are you going to get it? Have you ever thought about getting a tattoo? It's a desired tattoo. I, I want the Triforce on my hand, but not yet. <laughs> See, there you go. Exactly. We could talk about the, the game details like an, like all day, but I would love to speculate, even if it's just spitballing theories. Like, What do you think makes this franchise so beloved why has it really struck a chord with people what is it about link and is it like the the legend of zelda that has carried its way through time i think every single one of the games is like way smarter than you might expect Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. wind waker was my first zelda game when I played it as a kid, I had no fucking idea, like, what was going on <laughs> overall in the world. I just knew I was having a good time, and I revisited it, and I did I did a whole video essay on this, but, like, that game is about loneliness, the destruction of the world, and slowly rebuilding society through community and acts of kindness. Whoa. Like, every Zelda game has that layer of depth to it yes whether it's something that ex- that's explored like in the you know environment design or like just like the way you traverse the world things like that but like there's there is a lot going on in these games and i think that's why they tend to stick with people so readily yeah there's absolutely a meta that arises in the course of playing each zelda iteration um that has a unique flavor of its own so as someone who's only played Breath of the Wild, uh, I have a question. Is Hyrule ever, like, okay? <laughs> <laughs> when Hyrule is okay, there's no game to play. <laughs> there there are games where there is more of a Hyrule to speak of. There is actual, like, a, a town that you can go through and a castle and things like that. Um, that is not completely overrun by monsters. But, yeah, the the nature of needing to save the world means that... There's got to be some problems. There's, you know what? There's, there are games where there, where Hyrule is absent. So you could speculate that Hyrule is okay just by virtue of it not being in the story. There's games where there's no Hyrule. 
I thought it was all high. Link's Awakening. He, uh, he he crashes on a desert island. Yeah, Majora's Mask arguably doesn't take place in Hyrule. Yeah, though Majora's I mask. mean, oh. I I I tend to see it as just like you know, it's the same world. It's just like a different land. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. For me, I I would say that I feel like Legend of Zelda at least always has a certain quality to it. Uh, that it's always a good game. I mean, even as much as people love to deride Skyward Sword as being, you know, the worst game in the series, that's only because it's being compared to the legends themselves. And I think that if Skyward Sword was released under any other name, people still would have enjoyed it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And Travis, you said there's a certain quality. Can can you articulate what that quality is? I I mean, more like a level of quality, like a level of polish. Like you're always getting a good game when you're playing a Zelda game. Yeah, you're right. Uh, and I think one of the things that also speaks to it is the simplicity of it. Mm-hmm. It is always as simple as you are going to save the princess and save the world. There is a lot of depth if you're looking for it, but you don't have to to appreciate the game, especially like the original Zelda. It was, here's a cave, go in, get the sword. Okay, you're on your own. <laughs> like there was, there was no story to speak yeah. of. There was no epic narrative going on. It was, th- this is it. This is very straightforward. And I think the games have always maintained that level of simplicity, even though you can get deep if you want to with them. You don't have to in order to appreciate it, which I think is why it also is so beloved by people of all ages. There are people who stick with the series for all their lives, but it's still accessible to kids at every new point where you've got a new game coming out and you've got new people to the series. So you can always count on that being reliable for you and for your fans. And, and you know, you're not kidding when you say like people get really in depth with it because there's a million and a half um, fan theories out there like before the show I was just doing some last minute research just some googling and, and some YouTubing and stuff uh, and I came across a whole bunch of really fun weird there's a whole subreddit called like Zelda conspiracies there's like people devoted to making <laughs> these videos that so my favorite one I'll just touch upon it briefly was the connection between uh, the world of Zelda and Christianity. Oh, okay, huh. that's interesting. That's an interesting perspective I would have never thought of. Oh, it was great. And the guy had to do this whole preamble to just kind of like diffuse the whole, like anything that might come at him later. But <laughs> the premise was like, oh, you start off in the first, the very first Zelda game. We, you know, we it's the, the we have the Star Wars scrolling text situation where you're like reading the description. It's like, you know, many years ago, the Princess of Darkness again. And he's like, first of all, Prince of Prince of Darkness, that that's like Satan, and I'm just like, oh, yeah, let's keep going. This is great. I'm. It's like in <laughs> Ephesians chapter six verse twelve, it says, "For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world." And I think that, and he just went on and on. But the, the interesting things that, that you know, there there were actually a lot of weird like. Um, like there was a cross on Link's shield and like the adventures of Link there was like a bunch of stuff uh, in the Japanese version the like the book of spells is actually just called Bible if you look at the Japanese one hmm. um, and uh, yeah he, and what was the other point he made he was talking about like how in A Link to the Past when he like wishes he actually, he's actually praying and that like the three goddesses the Nehru, Din, and Furor, uh, it's it's like allegory for like the, the son, the father, and the holy ghost and I was like <laughs> Man, this is a stretch, but like, what a ride! I'm so in for this. Breaking pots is taking communion. <laughs> you could just, but that's the thing. So I just feel like there's so many elements there in the games that just lend itself to the imagination, right? And and what you know, what are you know, these games? But like an exploration of imagination and fun, and you know, and again, I think there's there is elegance and simplicity in that to to your to the point. 
to the to credit the point you were making before, Travis. Yeah, I think there's something interesting with the series where, like, I assumed because it had been going on for so many years uh, under the same banner that people had, like, fallen in love with the characters and had this, like, deep bond with how they were in their different relationships and their social lives. And looking back now, it, it doesn't seem like that's as much the case as it is just about getting all of that stuff out of the way so that you can project your own life onto it. Yeah, because, I mean, Link is a silent protagonist and has very little characterization. I mean, it depends on which game we're talking about. He's given a little bit more in some games like Wind Waker and Twilight Princess. And Zelda, she's radically different from game to game. Sometimes she is a damsel in distress. Sometimes she's a pirate lord. Sometimes she is a spoiled brat. Uh, It really depends. Sometimes he's a man. Well, actually, you know what? Let's get into that because if we wouldn't be Rainbow Road unless we started talking about queerness and gender. So, what do you guys feel about the series' relationship to queerness and gender? Uh, you know, with with Sheik, Sheik with the Gerudos, yeah. with things like that. Like, if we're looking at like mostly just like the older games, I think it has like a really interesting relationship with like gender, just because like I mean, in Ocarina of Time, for example, you have this whole society that is like just women and like. I know in later games you find out, oh, okay, the Gerudo do actually marry men. But, like, as a kid and, like, kind of growing up, I always got the sense that, like, in Ocarina of Time, at least, like, the Gerudo are just, like, it's just like a lesbian desert community. The dream. Like, it's, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's like, a, it's like a theme camp at Burning Man. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God, Mike. What? Tell me it's Do you not. speak from personal experience, Mike? Hell yeah. <laughs> it's my theme camp. Yeah, I, I think I kind of <laughs> thought the same thing as a kid, um, that the Gerudos must just be, like, I, I didn't think about them romancing men. They all kind of only needed each other. That seems like a pretty great society to live in. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, yeah, I, I, I would throw men in jail too. Like, I would. <laughs> like the- I also always interpreted it as, like, literal immaculate conception when Ganondorf was born. Like, <laughs> Oh, because we're not done with the Christianity. Literally, just like once every hundred years, a, a man is born from them instead of a woman. And I just assumed, well, okay, I, I guess I, I guess that they just, you know, had a kid out of nowhere. <laughs> but then again, I was a dumb kid when I thought that, so. It was a stork. I just really, like, I'm, I'm waiting for the Transendorf. Like, I'm waiting for the, no, no, it was not a man. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> like, I, I want to see that where it's like, no, the Gerudo expectations of what a man has to be and then defying that. Like, I think that would be fascinating to see in a game. I really want to see that. I have seen uh, some please, please, fantastic please. fan art interpreting Ganon like that. <laughs> and like, really, like, yes. honestly, all of my favorite anything with Ganondorf is when he's treated like an actual person with like wants and desires. Hence why Wind Waker is the best Zelda game. Don't at me. <laughs> Do you know, you know why I think pe- people say Ocarina of Time is the best Zelda game? Because it's the first one they played. Because it's the first 3D one? Yeah, well, I, I yeah. Th- those reasons for sure like it, you know it was an entry point for a lot of people and yeah it was it was the first to enter the, the 3d space for that franchise but also i think that it it contains a creation myth 
it has the story of like cr- the creation of Hyrule, which they still touch upon, even like Hyrule Historia. So I think that might be a part of it too. Cause I, I think that someone once said to me in terms of narrative, some of the best stories are ones that have some element of a creation myth embedded in them. So I don't know. That's interesting. That's a cool thought. I hadn't mm-hmm. really considered that. Yeah. I don't, yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's bullshit, but I just think it's a cool idea. I feel like most people don't actually think about Zelda's story enough for that to necessarily be the case. Yeah. Like I think about Zelda's story way too much, but. But I mean, you'd be surprised what can be going on in the subconscious. It depends on the person, I think. Well, and but people, everyone has their own takeaway of the game, and that, that's what I'm saying. Like it, even earlier, when we were talking about how like there's just so much there, there's, there's so much depth that that you know, you know, Matt's really into the the Korok puzzles, and I'm really into the like the narrative, the like linear story. But like, and but then when then we walk away from that experience with like different. Um, like, you know, because of our own heuristics and like how we experience the reality of the game, you know, we, we kind of walk away with our own unique um, takeaways. And so I think that, uh, you know, that's, that's like, you know, actually, because we were talking about Leonardo DiCaprio, I think that this entered my mind, but have, have you guys seen, have you guys seen the movie Inception? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Bad movie. Okay. Oh, well. girl. Oh, that, oh, that is a done. contentious statement. You are the queen of the hot takes today. I live. Just today? <laughs> I love you. <laughs> Own that role. <laughs> Sorry, Mike, you're going to say? I think it's it's like a line in the movie where it's like the, the architect like builds the world of the dream, but then the dreamer fills it with whatever's in their subconscious. And I think the same can be said for the Zelda franchise uh, in a lot of the iterations of it where it's like the d- developers are building the Zelda game but you're, but you're kind of, well, less so with the more modern ones, because I feel like they kind of fill in the blanks in a, to a lot of it. But I think in the earlier ones, there was a, a lot left to interpretation. Now, even less so to actually, I'm thinking about it, they, they even have voice actors like reading, you know, so I, I think they're they kind of like coloring in more of the world. But, you know, back back before that, there was, you know, there was just the text, right? So you, the voices could sound like anything, you know, in the first iteration of Zelda, it was like, it could have, there was so much room for interpretation, because it was just so, it was a lot more abstract, but... Anyways, yeah, which makes sense with the um, the sort of inception of the series in terms of like backyard adventures in the woods, catching butterflies and stuff. Yeah, making up your own adventure out of it. That's that's a really good point. Mm-hmm. So I I do want to ask because it's Rainbow Road, and I think we'd be remiss not to ask. Damn you, Nintendo! Is Sheik trans? <laughs> we have to ask it, Matt. You haven't played the game, so I guess I kind of have to leave you out of it. So Jack, no, Jack, no, no, no. no. Okay. Well, right. Anyone who can be trans is trans for me. That's the rule. <laughs> okay. If there's even a sliver of transness in the character, we are putting that rubber stamp on. <laughs> what about you, Jacqueline? Do you think Sheik is trans or no? That is a question. See, the <laughs> thing is, every part of my heart wants to say yes, but every part of my brain knows that the answer is no. Oh, okay. Because, <laughs> like... The idea of, like, you know, taking on a whole different identity in order to survive hardship, like, that that, that, that is a very trans kind of experience to me. Mm-hmm. And, like, you know, I feel like you can definitely interpret Sheik as trans, but also kind of like one of the main points of Ocarina of Time is that Sheik discards that identity once they feel that it's safe to do so and then ne- never goes back. And, like, just, like, from a textual perspective, that's a pretty definitive answer that, no, it was really Zelda all along. It was just a disguise. And that that mm. makes me sad. Yeah, I guess that's true. I, it's, I, so I just want to clarify. So, Jacqueline, you feel like 
trans identity or being trans rather is is really bound to a sense of of true identity so you feel like um like being a trans person like is also um like that that is your identity it's not something to be discarded after the fact of whatever it is whatever it is you're trying to to get through i don't know that that feels loaded to me to phrase it like that <laughs> I, I i guess so but also like as far as like the real world is concerned like i don't put myself in a position to judge whether anyone else is trans if they say they're trans they're trans like i believe them yeah that's that's of course the like when it comes to interpreting a text i feel like you kind of have to like actually look at like what it's saying and to me the way Sheik transforms back into zelda at the end and then doesn't return to being Sheik in any way shape or form just kind of says pretty definitively that it was just a disguise in order to like you know hide and they were hiding their true self which i guess maybe means you could interpret like zelda as a trans girl who went back into boy mode to hide yeah that's but, more what like, i'm getting really like if if they were doing any kind of good writing then it would turn out that like you know she like zelda actually wanted to stay as chic maybe or be chic sometimes who knows gender fluidity is a thing absolutely yeah i was it's i was in the manga they go into a little bit more detail about that transition zelda it was her mind i think that went in like under like into slumber and then and then her body became chic oh that's interesting uh input put zelda to, to her mind like went away and so then there was this new personality that emerged uh, and then people online have speculated, being like, well, Sheik has red eyes. And it's like, yeah, okay, well, contacts? I don't know. I, I don't know what contact they have in Hyrule. But yeah, <laughs> cool. Thank you for answering that question. Yeah, I think uh, now that we've covered the queerness of it, we probably do have to wrap things up. I'm very sorry to say. Before we go, I, I, I have one question, though. I, I want to hear everyone's favorite tracks from the Zelda series. Tracks? Like the music? Yeah. Oh. Because... The music is so Spirit iconic. Tracks. Oh, you mean music? Okay. <laughs> Spirit tracks. Oh my god. Yeah, no. Like I, I feel like I got introduced to Zelda music way earlier than I got introduced to Zelda because it's just so part of the culture now. Yeah, that's actually very true. Um, especially because some of the games revolve around music. Thank you, Koji Kondo. Um, okay. Well, yeah, Jacqueline. Well, what is your what's your favorite song from from the Zelda series? I don't know that I'm able to answer that. That there, it's so good all around. Like. I I, ha- I have a hard time thinking of a song in Zelda that I don't like. Uh, yeah, they're all pretty <laughs> iconic. Then maybe not a favorite, but one you just want to shout out. Um, Ballad of the Goddess from Skyward Sword is fucking phenomenal. What, is that the one that's like the Zelda's lullaby, but reversed? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a good one. That's a really good one. Okay, cool. Mike, what about you? Probably the Dark World theme. I, I like, have you got the, the orchestral version, like the orchestral album of like the Zelda 
25th anniversary uh, soundtrack live is like really really stellar and it harkens back to how I, I love a link to the past oh, okay maybe because yep. I maybe just for sheer exposure because it took me so long to beat the second half of that game that I, I you know just through familiarity of hearing it over <laughs> and over again that it'd be it like drilled its way into my brain but I think I think that's like definitely one of my favorites if you can listen to the music for that long and not hate it that's a true testament to good writing yeah seriously is it, is it not hating it or is it just stockholm syndrome <laughs> why not both no koji kone does that good <laughs> what why not both i'm very curious to know whether matt can guess mine because they know that i, I play it on on loop on repeat so often <sighs> i don't think i can uh, gerudo valley I love Gerudo Valley so much. I play it so much. <laughs> like, so many different covers of it. That is what I would have said, but I wanted to shout out Ballad of the Goddess because it's underrated. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> that's fair. Matt, do you have a favorite from Breath of the Wild? Or? Play Kakariko Village. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah there, there's just something about it. Yeah. That's the vibe I want to carry through my life. <laughs> yeah, it's very down tempo. Yeah, it's it's chill. It's lo-fi beats. It is. It's it, very it lo-fi. It is lo-fi beats to defeat Ganondorf yeah. too. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so unfortunately we do have to start wrapping things up. Before we go, we got to ask that age-old question. Um, oh, I realized, Jacqueline, we never actually explained this to you. So at the end of each episode, uh, I always ask everyone what games they're playing right now. So... Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm going to do that now. If you <laughs> count watching somebody play a game in between, like, pages of manga, yes. I have been playing Hyrule Warriors. Okay. <laughs> That's like Dynasty Warriors, right? But just with yeah, Zelda. It, yeah, and I am terrible at the original Hyrule Warriors, which is why I just watched my roommate play it. Because that, that game has way too much going on as far as the tactics go. And I don't, I'm not good at real-time strategy. Yeah, it's again, it's this thing of, like, Zelda has become so many different things. Like Link's crossbow training is a Zelda game. <laughs> Hyrule Warriors is a Zelda game. They're very different from everything else in the series, mm-hmm. but you can't say they're not Zelda games. I consider them spin-offs, not actual Zelda games. I guess if that makes sense. But like it's just so interesting how this one series has spawned so many different types of game. Like I find it very fascinating personally, but um so moldable. Yes, exactly. Uh, hey, Mike, what you playing? I'm playing Breath of the Wild. Really? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's wintertime, and I lament the fact that I can't really go out and explore, and it kind of, it does mm-hmm. sort of fill that void for me. It's such a good quarantine game. <laughs> uh, hey, Matt, what you playing? Uh, I just finished The Pathless on the PS5. Oh, man, that new controller. That rumble is so good. Never been rumbled like that before. <laughs> Ew. That's okay. Um, <laughs> can't recommend the pathless enough. That eagle, I would die for him. So having played Breath of the Wild, Matt, is pathless a Zelda game? Ooh. Because it feels like a Zelda game. Do you smash pots? It has some... Do, do you smash pots? There we go. That is... <laughs> There we go. That's the Boolean question yeah. here. Anything can be a Zelda game if you smash pots if, enough. If there's pot smashing, <laughs> Zelda game. Done. Making dinner can be a Zelda game. 
the way you make dinner, yes. <laughs> <That's fair. laughs> but yeah, like you, I can't imagine the pathless happening without Zelda. Yeah, I feel like it's taken so many cues from it. Um, if you haven't checked out the Pathless, please do so. It is a gorgeous, beautiful game made by the people who made Abzu and Journey. Uh, it's it's just so pretty. It's so pretty. But then again, how many games would exist without Zelda in the yeah. year of our Lord 2021? That is a very, very good point. Very good point. What have you been playing, Travis? What's ship playing? Uh, I am currently playing Immortals Phoenix Rising, which is the most Zelda game that's not a Zelda game. <laughs> like, it's... Everything about it is like, oh, so Ubisoft played Breath of the Wild and decided to just make another one. Like that's everything is copied from Zelda. The giant open world, the stamina wheel, the shrines. Some of the puzzles are very like Korok seeds. Like so much of it is just Breath of the Wild. What is it with Ubisoft and and making the Pepsi of whatever game is popular at the time? <laughs> I'm serious. I, like it's this has been a theme now. I'm noticing they have all these games that are just like adjacent to other ones that have just hit their like Yeah, they're not like they're not quite knockoffs, but they're bordering on it. They even do it within their own series, I'd argue. Like, you know, Assassin's Creed 2 and Brotherhood are the coke of Assassin's Creed, <laughs> and then Assassin's Creed Revelations and Assassin's Creed 3 are the Pepsi. Yep. I would say that this is the vanilla coke because they've changed it just enough in the flavoring in that it's all Greek mythology themed. Um and there's a lot of very Greek mythology jokes that are in it, which I, as a Greek mythology nerd, I also kind of love it. I think it's a lot of fun. Um, can't wait till we do our Hades episode. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I'm really enjoying it. It's, it is more just breath of the wild and they did shamelessly rip it off, but it's also more breath of the wild yeah. and I'm happy. Who doesn't want more breath of the wild? <laughs> like it's, it's good, man. I'm, I'm really liking it. So yeah, that's where I'm at right now. I'm probably gonna be playing that for a while because I have no time now that I'm back at work and starting a new show. Uh, but yeah, that is us. I think we should wrap it up. Thank you so much, everyone, for joining us. Mike, thank you as always. Smoothly boo. I, I don't know. Yep, that's been a pleasure. <laughs> yep. Uh, <laughs> Matt, thank you so much for joining us. Anytime. And Jacqueline, thank you so much for joining us. Where can we find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Jacqueline Film, and you can find me on YouTube at it just like add C slash Jacqueline Merritt to the end of youtube.com. And I make video essays on there. And my most recent video essay is a four hour beast of a motherfucking essay about Kingdom Hearts <laughs> 2 and everything in it. And well, okay, I don't talk about the gummy ships, but everything else. <laughs> <laughs> we yeah. don't talk about the gummy ships. <laughs> yeah, you're forgiven for that. <laughs> Uh, yeah, honestly, I can't shout her out enough, guys. If you have not checked out her videos, they are fantastic. They are very deep dives into the series. Uh, you know that I am a massive Kingdom Hearts fan, uh, so Wait, I absolutely enjoy. You're them. a Kingdom Hearts fan. I know, Mike. Your memory is so short. <laughs> when did that happen? <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much, everyone, for joining us. Uh, we're going to call it for a day. We'll see you in a couple of weeks. This has been Rainbow Road. If you liked this episode, follow us on Twitter at Rainbow Road Pod or get in touch with us for future episodes at Rainbow Road Podcast at gmail.com. And a big thank you to all of our guests today and our producer, Matt Kinnar. Thanks for listening to Rainbow Road. <laughs>